Hey guys, so today I'm going to answer some questions that I received in the past couple weeks from either Twitter or my website comment section. They are really, uh, you know, some miscellaneous questions that doesn't don't have a general theme about it. But uh, some of the questions is, is about the recent market uh, movement. As you know, something um, in the past week has been interesting, um, you know, about Ukraine, right? And then um, that caused some market donations in uh, all the risk assets and uh, crypto somewhat recovered after that, but it's uh, still, you know, we're in a volatile market. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that uh, and also some other questions. Um, so let's get started. First question from Dave S. Please explain why it's easy for markets to price in rate hikes but difficult to price in quantitative tightening. So I, I, I don't I don't remember what this uh, comment is responding to because I'm just reading off a list of screenshots that my assistant sent me uh, in a Word document. Essentially, it doesn't have a context, but uh, I, I guess at some point I mentioned on Twitter or on my website that it's easier for the market to price in um, tightening. So so because some, some people are saying, you know, the um, Fed tightening effect is already being priced in by the market, right? I, I think that's only half true. If you think about it, because it's, uh, it's easier to price in the rate hikes, it's not so easy to price in the quantitative tightening, which is um, Federal Reserve selling off the U.S. Treasury is holding or the commercial you know, uh, corporate bonds is holding, um, in, or, in other words, reduce its balance sheet, right? So um, why that's more difficult to price in, there, there are a few reasons, but on, on the most uh, simplest level, um, if you think about it, with a rate hike, you have a definitive number of how much the Federal Reserve is going to hike its uh, federal fund rate, which is essentially a, a, a short-term overnight rate that banks in the United States used to borrow money overnight to each other. Okay, so it's like a, a rate on uh, in interbank short-term liquidity. But of course, when once that rate changes, it has the spillover effect to other short-term rates, right? Because um, if if that cost of short-term funding increases for banks, then banks gotta start. It's just, just like any businesses. If your cost increases, you gotta start charging your customers more or figure out <laughs> more ways to get more money, to make more money, right? To cover your cost. So it's the same thing. So federal fund rate, it's a short-term in interbank rate. But when that increases, it, it spilled over into the rest of the short-term market, borrow lending market. And from the short-term borrow lending market, it can, you know, sp spill over the so-called monetary transmission, right? Spill over into more longer-term uh, borrow lending products. So that's how it goes in terms of traditional monetary tightening. But that effect is, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, sort of easier to calculate because, you know, like for example, in March, let's say the Fed increases the federal fund rate by 25 basis points. So you know that's 25, right? So you, you, can, so, so, so you can easily just adapt your assumption in terms of, okay, how much the uh, short-term interest rate is going to move when the federal fund rate moved to 25 basis points, you have a lot of historical data you can reference, right, to, to from historical experiences. And uh, in, in the worst case scenario, you just assume 25, <laughs> right? 25 basis point interest rate changes. And that feeds into all kinds of asset pricing models that people use to price like ca discounted cash flow. For example, you assume some kind of interest rate, right? So now you know interest rate changed and you know by how much, then you plugged into your model and you get a new um, asset valuation. And that will be the new price that you target, right? <laughs> so if, if the rate increased, that means uh, uh, if, if your in discount rate increases, that means your um, discounted, if you're in the discounted cash flow model, for example, that means your present value of your future cash flow, uh, like a depreciate, like a reduce in value, right? So that means the current day's stock price should be going down. By how much? 
depends on how you was, how much you assume that interest rate increases, which you basically you know more or less know from from how much the uh, interest rate hike is, right? The same thing with bond market, right? You you look at how much you assume that interest rate change, and you can you can price you use to feed feed into your pricing model for for the uh, uh, for 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 the price for the bond. So um. So, so, so in that sense, you know, it's a, the, the, the number is definitive and also you have a long history of historical values that you can reference to see how much historically, you know, Fed raises 25 or 50, how much impact that has, that has uh, caused in the credit, um, in, in, in other rates in the market, right? But with, Q, Q, with quantitative easing or quantitative tightening, which is the opposite, it's harder because it's both, um, it, 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 it's both it, it, uh, harder in, in a quantitative sense because you don't have a definitive number, right? You, even if you know, okay, um, Federal Reserve next month is gonna reduce its balance sheet by 10%, which is a huge number, by the way, it's not gonna happen in a single month. But um, let's say you know it's reducing by 10%. So you know that like, it's selling for X amount of uh, treasury securities, for example. But still, you, 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 it's still quite uh, hard to grasp how much of a price impact that will, affect, that will have on the market unless you know exactly what that you know, supply-demand curve of the you know, treasury market is, which is very hard to estimate, right? At least it's harder to estimate. You don't know what exactly that selling is going to have the impact it's going to have on, on bond prices. You know it's it's going to be going down because, you know, the fast selling, of course, bond price going down, but you don't know by how, it's harder to know by how much, right? And also keep in mind, we've had the biggest QE ever, all right, unprecedented since COVID started. So it's really an order of magnitude bigger than than the other QEs that the, uh, the Fed has done in the past. So it's you don't really <laughs> you don't really have a linear like a, a historical reference for this, okay? So um, to what extent this going to hurt the um, the, the asset market uh, once the Fed starts to sell off its uh, balance sheet assets? Nobody freaking knows for sure. You know that's why I say I said. If you think those impacts are priced in, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think anybody has a definitive answer about what the exact impact a QT would be, even if you know how much the balance sheet is going to reduce. And uh, not to mention that right now we don't know. Okay, um, so that's that. Uh, next question from Flores D. What's your plan going forward from here? You said in your newsletter that we could get some kind of market recovery short term, but overall bearish long term. Well, <laughs> I'm not really bearish long term. Well, it depends on how you define long term. Okay, um, my my long term is like 20, 30 years. <laughs> but maybe when maybe uh, maybe maybe Flores uh, is meaning like long term as in the next year or next two years. Um, so he says, you're going to sit and wait and buy after it all goes down or invest as soon as the market shows recovery. So um, I think this is uh, a comment referring to something that I said on Twitter because some, 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 somebody asked about why I haven't posted any of the, you know, I, I, uh, what I you know, sometimes post like what I call notes of the day, basically some, you know, random thoughts about like a trading and, uh, you know, por portfolio management um, in, in, in my crypto portfolio. So I haven't been posting much because I haven't been doing much. Um, and right now I'm 70% in cash. And that has been actually, you know, I was, uh, I was in full position in end of January, and since then, I've been gradually reducing and going more into cash because, um, again, I talked about this uh, 
you know, several times already, I expect a lot of volatilities in the short term in this market, which has, you know, you, you've seen, if you, if you look at the VIX, which is the stand, uh, you know, S&P 500 volatility index, it's been going up since like, uh, you know, late December or something. So um, you also see a lot of volatility in the crypto market because it, a lot of it is, um, I think, uh, surrounding the macro action from, from the central banks, right? So, um, so, so in this kind of market, and, and also, you know, I, right now, frankly, I'm seeing more downside in both Bitcoin and the crypto market in general. Um, it, it's not, I, I'm not always expecting this. Like, uh, like for example, at the end of January, like uh, my alts portfolio, the so-called altcoins, were doing pretty well. And then February started, we had a huge downturn or several rounds of downturn, right? But I always expected that this is a high volatility phase, though you can, you can argue, okay, Bitcoin and crypto prices have been going down a whole lot since November, December, right? So uh, some people say we are already in a bear market. And uh, well, it depends on how you define a bear market, right? What's your time frame? And to me, this is not a bear market yet. We're just in a lot of volatility. So in this kind of environment, so and and I did expect, you know, like for example, we get a first a bunch of uh, sell-offs in, you know, earlier this month in February. Uh, at that time, I expected we we would have a rebound, like a pretty soon. I, I'm still expecting that. I'll come to that in in, in a bit. Okay. So why why did I expect a rebound rebound because if you look at you know how much uh, uh, in the equity market for example um, S&P has been you know down by you know 20% from the previous highs in what November December to the lowest point that we had in February that was uh, over 20% I think um, and uh, the crypto market obviously it's even more so but if you think about it is it is it justified I don't think so because the Fed hasn't raised rate. We haven't even had QT, hasn't even remotely started. We still have Fed balance sheet expansion, right? But it's massively decelerating, I'm telling you. It, right now, it's probably the year-on-year -year growth is about 10%. Um, I like to look at year-on-year -year growth because it get rid of seasonalities and also it gives you a more time, longer time span to allow you to have some kind of perspective, the short-term Month-to-month -month data is just uh, too noisy, so that's why I like to use year-on-year. -year. If you look at year-on-year -year data, the uh, balance sheet expansion has been decelerating since I think middle of last year, if I remember. Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't, I forget exactly which month, but last time, but I'm pretty sure it was like started decelerating since the middle of last year. Um, but it's still growing, right? It's just decelerating. So um, that, that means QT hasn't started, rate, rate high hasn't started. No, you, you've heard, certainly you've heard plenty about it. So, but you know, market rates like yields have been going up. We have inflation coming and we have expectations of the Fed raising coming, right? But, but, but at the end of the day, I just don't, I just don't think that, that market condition has justified this much of drop. In, in in risk asset prices in such a short time frame, okay? So that's that's why I expected, like in early part of February, I expected that we're going to see a rebound. But then I kept waiting and I, I felt, okay, it's gonna happen short term, but <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> so, and then I, so, so, so then I, you know, I, I thought about it and uh, I think, it, it this uh, to me it, it warranted a change in strategy because if if it's going to have if I expect if I expect it to have another leg down in the short term that means there will be more buying opportunities in the future though I can't tell you exactly when that will be right but I still expect we will see a rebound and 
possibly a strong rebound, a strong rebound from now to um, summer when we have quantitative tightening actually starts. So, um, so, so, so that, that, that's why I have gradually moved into cash um, over the month, over this past month. So right now I'm basically on a lot of cash position, but I fully expect to go back into the market when I think it's a good entry position, when, when I think we, we are seeing a rebound forward. Actually, I have gone back into the market just this week, you know, after we had, after Ukraine, um, uh, after the, the Russian invasion happened, we had the huge lag down in the market, right? But, and then we rebounded. And then I thought, okay, maybe this is the one. <laughs> this is the one and we're gonna have uh, the rebound that I was expecting, okay? So I did enter the market on some of the, enter which, which, which one said that you, if you watch my previous videos, you already know which positions I had. So that those haven't changed, okay? So I re-entered but I, I, at, this, at that point, I, I expected this thing would be volatile, right? So in this situation, I you know, had a tight stop set and I got stopped it out essentially because the expected more upward momentum didn't happen, <laughs> okay? So then, um, so, so, so I, I did try it actually uh, multiple times to re-enter, re but always, I always got stopped out so far because that whatever upward momentum we had, it didn't materialize. So um, that's, but, but, but that's the situation now is uh, I'm still looking to re-enter the market um, at some point because I do expect a rebound at some point. Though there's one thing I haven't like intellectually, haven't totally like a reconciled is that if we are expecting, like, I, it's not just, I'm not the only, only person expecting a rebound, okay? Um, I, I, I think uh, a lot of people think that we should see that because the downturn of that, in that short time frame, that, that magnitude of uh, price adjustment down wasn't warranted by actual market condition. There is a lot of liquidity sitting on the sideline right now. Okay, maybe they're like me, they're like looking for the right opportunity to enter, right? But the thing is, <laughs> if all of us are expecting that to happen, and, and then we also expect later this year, we will have QT, which means that will hurt risk assets. That means whatever rebound we have is going to be sold into. People are going to be, you know, selling when, when there is a price, uh, when, when, when there is a price uh, a recovery. Not to mention um, people who are not sitting on cash, okay, especially retail. Um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of new people in crypto. Maybe they don't have a lot of faith in the industry. They're just uh, you know coming into the market and be, because it's a lot of hype, and 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 people think it's a quick way to make money. So those so those folks may not have a whole lot of staying power or holding power, right? So they may not want to stick around. So if, if they bought a token and the price went down, like in the past uh, few months, the price action hasn't been so good, right? So, and, and if, if there is a rebound opportunity, you know, probably, you know, a lot of retail will sell. So that, that's the part I haven't worked out in, you know, I haven't reconciled uh, to be honest. So, but, um, that, but but still, you know, I I don't see you know because because the market condition, you know, financial conditions have not significantly tightened. It's not like a mechanically we are short of liquidity in this market. It's just you know people are turning more risk averse, so people don't want to bet heavily right now. Okay, um, so 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 that's why I I think uh, I think some market recovery is uh, is in the cards. Uh, so that being said, like I have already said a bunch of times, this is a high volatility period, right? So uh, I think if you if if you're like me, um, you know, um, 
by the way, none of this is financial advice, obviously. I'm just telling you um, my opinion about the market and what I'm doing with my portfolio, okay? It doesn't mean that you should do the same. Um, you, you should do what you think is, is, is right. And I am definitely not right all the time, okay? I make a lot of mistakes. Um, so, um, but, it, but, but I, I think if you, if you're not a hodling type, you, you, this is the, this is the market you should at least watch pretty closely, right? Because we are in a high volatility situation. So you, whatever, you know, entry or exit, you probably want to set a, you know, tight stops and watch the price action pretty closely. Um, so, but if you're the hodling type, <laughs> then you do nothing, right? You just uh, you just stick with your your high conviction and bets. So, by the way, I said I'm seventy percent in cash, and a bunch of people give me a hard time on Twitter as if I'm fudding the market. Uh, I'm sorry, you know. Um, this is uh, I'm I'm long term bearish. I'm long term bullish on crypto in general, but my long term is pretty long. Okay. In the short term, I'm not going to just sit there and try to get killed. <laughs> so um, I do whatever I consider is uh, appropriate for my situation and my reading of the market. I'm not saying you should do the same, okay? Um, so, okay. So, and also with the Ukraine situation, this is uh, obviously another complication for um, uh, that adds to the market volatility, right? So with the Ukraine situation, um, some people ask me how, uh, what, 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 what do I think the impact would be? So, you know, to be honest, I haven't thought this uh, in a very profound, I haven't thought about it in a very profound level, but at a, at a pretty service level, Okay, at a pretty superficial level, obviously, first thing, it's it's gonna likely affect oil prices and commodity prices, agricultural commodity prices, because and also you know some metal commodity prices, because because um, uh, Russia is a big exporter in in oil and in grains like uh, wheat or corn and you know those kind of thing. So, um, but but oil is the most important, right? So that's going to affect oil prices. If oil prices goes higher, that's bad for the economy and uh, uh, bad for the economy, bad for economic growth, bad for inflation. Inflation will be going up, adding to on top of uh, the inflation that we already have. So that would be a pretty tough situation for the central banks to be in because you then you essentially trending trending towards the stagflation situation, which is high high inflation, low growth, right? So, um, so, 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 so that will be a, a, a pretty tough spot. Um, so right now, um, right now, I, I think that the superficial reading <laughs> is that the oil price impact would, may not be as, uh, as huge, or at least uh, it, if there was an impact, there will be temporary. Why? Because First, U.S. has uh, you know emergency oil reserves that it, it can deploy, it can release, um, and this is definitely you know you have a continental war situation. It's definitely one of the situations that warrants the release of uh, your strategic oil reserves. Okay, so 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 that that would uh, mitigate the impact. And the second thing is uh, there is uh, potentially agreement with Iran to. Um, you know, uh, alleviate the sanctions and increase the export from Iran, the oil export. Okay, so th those are the mitigating factors. But um, I'm not an oil expert. <laughs> okay, I, I I think this um, um it's uh it's uh um it's still you know uh hard hard to hard to judge uh, right now. So, so that will be the impact on, on the economy and de definitely that will affect market confidence. And also the impact will, will come from, you know, obviously right now, I, I think you probably read in the news or 
heard on from from your friends or from Twitter or somewhere that you know the Western banking system is pretty much cutting Russia off, right? So that's a that's gonna create some some knock on effect because um, Russia is not exactly a it's not a huge economy. It's not. It's not huge compared to how big it is uh, in in terms of geography, right? But it's still like uh, about like one point three percent of the world GDP, okay? Which is which is not uh, it, it's not completely you can't completely ignore it, right? So when when this leg is being cut off from from the uh, from the global like international monetary system, you are going to have the on the other end the counterparties, you know. Investors who have invested in Russia, mm-hmm. financial institutions that have lent money to Russian entities, they are going to have trouble with their investments, with their account receivables, right? So if if Russia Russia does not have access to international banking system, that means those those uh, those entities, those people, those organizations in the West, they cannot. Um, uh, they cannot uh, collect their, their their payments from Russia either. So when 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 they cannot collect those, what's going to happen? They have uh, they have losses on their books, right? Um, if if uh, that if if they are in some kind of uh, liquidity shortage situation, that means they will need to sell other assets. Okay, that that's how a spillover is created into other parts of. Uh, you know, risk assets or all financial asset markets. So, so I can, I, I think that that can be another layer of uh, of impact. How big that is, I don't know yet. I need to look into how much account receivables <laughs> from Russia are. <laughs> but I expect that's pretty hard to estimate. Um, so, so that's the second level of impact. And the third level of impact, God forbid, you don't want us to go there, which is nuclear. <laughs> So um, if we have some kind of uh, uh, even even the mention of uh, kind of a nuclear war involving nuclear weapons, uh, you know, you you there there are people who who, who are supposed to be armchair military experts would tell you, ah, oh, this is not likely to happen. I don't know. <laughs> I think even a whiff of that is uh, enough to scare financial markets, right? So. Um, so 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 I, I think in the in the short term these are just factors that are gonna increase your volatilities in the market, but still you know it doesn't negate the factors that we just talked about. You have like a lot of liquidity sitting on the sidelines, mm-hmm. and uh, you have a market that I think it's been has been oversold, um, you know, <laughs> at least in the short term. Okay. I think in, in the short term it's being oversold, so so I expect a rebound. But still, you know, I've I've been expecting it. It hasn't happened <laughs> so far, but 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 I, I think it it should happen some point from now to summer if we still have QT starts in summer. Okay, so it depends on how this Ukraine situation goes. It may affect the response function, may affect the 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 actions from Federal Reserve. So I don't know. It's all in. So things are very, um, um, very in flux right now. So that's why I'm, you know, sitting on a lot of cash, and I'm just, uh, I, waiting, waiting to deploy. But the the thing is, I'm I'm not really that good about timing market. That's the same. <laughs> so um, just wish me luck. <laughs> that's all. Thank you. Um, okay, so. So that's that. Um, but you know, on the other hand, from the from the fundamental side of crypto, I think actually I, I, I think a bear market would be good for the industry for, for, for the long term because what honestly what, you know the, the, the price action has been so fast in the past couple of years, especially in 2021, okay? Um, it, it's really at the, the, the rate of investing the money in, in, in crypto, um, both from the liquid uh, you know, investment in token and or the venture capital investment that is less liquid, 
from both. Okay, it's a lot of money flowing to crypto. It, I, I think it's uh, really um, growing at a much faster rate uh, than the actual rate of innovation that's happening. Don't get me wrong, there are a lot of building, a lot of creativity happening in the space, right? But the thing is, even with that, even even if this is the technology that has had fastest uh, rate of adoption on Earth ever, still, you know, it's got a it has a limit, right? Things happening in the physical world it has a limit of uh, how fast it can grow, and uh, the technologies it has its own pace of uh, you know. It has, has innovation has its own cycles of, of uh, maturing, right? So sometimes it's just not there. You throw more money at it in the short term, it's not going to give you that result, which means if in the short term you have the growth of investment far outpacing the actual speed of innovation and uh, adoption of real use cases, what will happen is naturally you get a lot of investments wasted on pointless projects, on projects that are not good quality, on blatant money grabs, <laughs> on, you know, you know what I mean, right? So, and we've been seeing, I think there has been a lot of those, uh, especially in the NFT space. So, um, so, 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 so you see, I think if, if you, if this goes on, for extended period of time, this kind of thing goes on for expanded, extended period of time. It really it, it increases the fragility of the market because your makes the valuation of your project more and more fragile. Okay, so um, it it it's a, increases the probability of of a violent crash instead of the mild downturn. Okay, so I I just don't want us to get a violent crash because I I just don't think that's good for crypto at all. Uh, because you, 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 you want to, you, you want people to recognize this as a, as a gradually maturing asset classes, not a asset class that is perpetually volatile. <laughs> okay. And that's always full of drama, right? Some, at some point you want to graduate from that and, and, and grow into adulthood, right? So, um, and if, if you want mainstream adoption that, you know, we've got to have more stability, we've got to have more sanity. In, in, in this market. Um, and we've got to allow room to, for, for projects to actually, you know, have the breathing room to, to, to actually catch up to the rate of growth in the money flowing in, into the market. So that's, that's, that's why I, th I think it's extended bear market, a relatively longer bear market, not a bear market that is just a couple months, right? Um, I think it would actually be good for, for the industry going forward. So uh, otherwise we, we, we will have violent crashes, which, which is not, not, not optimal for, for the long-term health of the industry. Uh, but obviously nobody wants to hear that. And uh, when I say that people think I'm fudding. So, but, uh, so be it, right? <laughs> so, um, but but you know actually we've we've already seen um, we've already seen a lot of it, uh, which is something I, a, a chart I just posted um, today on Twitter, which uh, um, which uh, which uh, somehow people found it controversial. I don't know why. <laughs> and I, I posted this uh, this chart about the growth rate of uh, stablecoin mar market capitalization. Basically the two biggest uh, US dollar backed stable coins or supposedly US dollar backed stable coins, which is the Tether and USDC, right? So if you look at the growth rate of uh, these biggest ones, mm -hmm, which is essentially maybe like 90% of the total uh, stable coin market cap. So this is actually, I, I think it's, um, it's a good measure to tell you how much new money is coming into crypto. Um, because this is Obviously, this is not—it's not a precise measure because people, you know, go in and out of stablecoin for all sorts of purposes, right? But if you think about it, in order for the stablecoins, for these stablecoins to increase market cap, okay, you need to have actual U.S. dollar going in to, you know, 
to, for example, USDC is the parent company is Circle, right? If I want a US, uh, if, if for, for new USDC tokens to be created, some investors have need to go in with actual US dollar. I, I say, Circle, here is my $5 actual US dollar cash. Give me $5 your USDC token, right? So that's how USDC is, is created, roughly the same thing with Tether, right? So, so, so you can use the market cap of these, uh, these two as a rough gauge, as a rough measure of, uh, of the rate of money, new money inflow, actual dollar inflow into the crypto market, right? Um, since we, I don't have a you know, really comprehensive measure for this. So if you look at if you look at the growth rate of these two stable coins adding together, the growth rate has peaked um, in April 2021. And since then, it's been going down. Okay, but the growth rate is positive. So I posted this and people are trying to argue with me. What are you saying? Look, look, look at crypto like a stable coin market cap is, is still going up. Yes, I know. But I'm talking about growth rate. Okay. Um, if you remember your high school calculus or whatever, the growth rate is the, is the rate of change in your underlying level, right? Of course, the level, the level of the, uh, the stable coin market cap is going up as long as growth rate is positive. Okay. The level is going up, but the growth rate itself is declining. So like say, you know, but five months ago, the growth rate is uh, 20%. Right now it's, uh, let's say it's 10%. Then that means the, 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 uh, the degree of change is decelerating. Okay. So yes, the market is still growing. The stable coin, you know, uh, market cap is still growing, but at a decelerating rate, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, um, I hope this is clear. <laughs> so, uh, so, 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 what, what is, uh, what is, actually, I should have looked at this. I should have thought of this earlier. This is actually, I, it didn't, uh, um, this didn't, it didn't come to mind until, until recently, right? So, to, to look at the actual rate of growth in stable coins. So, if you look at this, uh, you see that stable coin had, market cap has been decelerate, growth has been decelerating since April last year, which is sort of when I think the momentum in crypto like uh, greatly reduced. That was when you see like in May, we saw a pretty deep uh, retrace, right? And then it, it, it went back up, then it went back to, to the high of uh, November, but it really it was on a much weaker momentum compared to the compared to first first half of uh, 2021, right? So I, I think what this tells you is, is the new money inflow is, uh, we still have a lot of new money inflow, yes, but not, at, at least not at a accelerating rate, right? And, and to me, you know, it seems reasonable to say that for a market that like crypto market that is did not pretty much denominate it in US dollar, right? And stablecoin is one to one uh, exchange rate with US dollar, right? So for a market that's de denominated in US dollar, if you want a market cap of this market to go up a whole lot against the US dollar, right? There has to be more and more US dollar coming in, right? It's not even enough. It's not enough for the growth rate to stay constant. If there's always like 5% uh, growth, if the growth rate is 5% of new US dollar coming into the market, that's not, that's not gonna create, uh, that's not gonna make prices going up, go up, right? Because, because, you, because you, you, you need to have, you, you, you given a set amount of token, right? You, you need to have, uh, um, in order to create a increasing price, in denominated in US dollar, you need to have accelerating amount of US dollar coming in. It cannot be just like a constant rate or a de or a decelerating rate. Okay, that's not gonna gonna give you new time high in in a market that is de denominated in US dollar. So um, so 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 um, that that's why I said uh, uh, I I wish I I thought about this earlier. <laughs> So if you look at the year-on-year -year growth, 
of uh, of uh, the dollar um, the dollar stable coins, uh, you 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 see that the rate has been the growth rate has has decelerated since since middle of last year, which coincides with the deceleration of uh, market cap growth denominated in USD <laughs> in crypto market. Okay, um, so what does it what what does this mean going forward? Um, so after so if we get a rebound, I I, I still I, I think it's likely that we get we get a pretty sizable rebound market recovery. Uh, but I, I I do think um, after if if we have QT, um, I, I I think the rate hike is it's not as much uh, to be to be feared as as QT. Um, that 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 one is more of a wild card. Partly because the reason we talked at the beginning that that impact is it's harder to price in. It's more unpredictable because this is really unprecedented uh, quantitative quantitative easing that we've had in the past few uh, in the past couple of years. So if once we have QT started, this this I, I think this uh, we may see a real bear market starting um, in 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 crypto. So 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 that's that would be my baseline. So what would I be doing then? <laughs> and uh, if, if you watched, uh, I think, one of my previous videos, um, uh, when I said, you know, which where when, when I talk about what to do in the bear market, right? So um, to, to me, uh, this I'm, I'm long term bullish about this market still, even though in the short term, I see a lot of shit. <laughs> So I, I I I think so so that's that's uh, what I what think I would do is I will hang around, but I will uh, try to put more assets into uh, I, I will obviously consolidate into you know um, assets that I have a um, longer term conviction on, and preferably assets that are cash generating, which means through some kind of staking mining. Um, you know, node running <laughs> activities that can uh, generate a cash flow. Um, to me, that kind of project is it's almost like the from growth to value rotation that you see in in in, in stocks when when there's when the market is down. You generally have this uh, uh, so 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 risk tolerance is uh, is lower. Then you have this shift from growth to value, right? What is value stock? And the value stocks are those that may not grow uh, like a spectacularly overnight, but those have like a relatively stable cash flows, right? Essentially, those are cash cows. So those those become more popular in um, a more risk risk averse market or in a, a you know, higher higher interest rate uh, environment. Right. So um, I, I think this type of thing, you know, of course, there's no there always growth is there's no value it's just ridiculous to talk about value in crypto because everything is growth right everything is risk on but still you know relatively speaking i think those that gives you a cash flow um is uh is uh is uh it's uh, the counterpart of uh value <laughs> in traditional investing if you will so because i don't really have a better analogy for this so I think those will be more popular, which is the kind of tokens that you, you can actually stake and earn a yield from a um, underlying economic activities. Okay, so um, so so where 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 does that yield come from? Uh, you know, for for example, in, you know, in in I talk a lot about these layer one stakings. The yield comes from token emission and comes from the transaction fees, right? From Ethereum to Solana to you know uh, Avalanche, Phantom, all, it's it's all quite similar, right? Just the uh, difference is in a matter of degrees. <laughs> so um, these have uh, these have uh, these are you know uh, staking and uh, these are product products that offer staking yields. And also um, there are another kind is uh, you know uh, if you help the uh, decentralized network to fulfill its function. Um, for example, uh, the ones I participate in are the Gala Games, um, Helium, uh, Pocket Network. 
those are the ones that I'm in. And uh, I may get into more of those um, when, when we have, uh, if we have a proper bear market. So basically my plan is to look for a good entry <laughs> so that I can scoop, scoop the tokens that I want back and, uh, um, and earn yields in the bear market. <laughs> So that, that, that's the current thinking. Okay. So, um, but so, so, so you can, you can look into those, um, but I can tell you, but, but, but still, you know, even if you get a cash flow from those, uh, you know, uh, pro uh projects that has yields, keep in mind in the, in the bear, bear, in the bear market, your yields are worth, are worth less, right? Because they're in your yields are in tokens and tokens will be worth less in the bear market. So your, uh, you may not, you may try to set a realistic ex expectation of uh, what the actual yields will be. So, um, so, so, so from that lens, again, it's not investment advice. Uh, if you look at, um, you, you can look into, for example, um, how much it costs to, to, to invest in, in a hotspot of helium, you know, um, how, and how much it, it costs to, invest in um, a node for Gala. Uh, last time I checked, it's like 80K in US dollar, more than 80K. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but it's not exactly cheap because it's like a, on a sliding scale up because um, more people buying those nodes and the price goes up. So you gotta do the calculation and see if that investment still makes sense to you. Okay, I can tell you I got in much earlier, so this does not apply to me anymore. So um, you gotta look at it and see if, if that makes sense to you. Um, same thing with Pocket Network, and some people ask me about running nodes for Pocket Network. Um, you you again this you you still you gotta uh, do your own calculation. Okay, because because essentially. Um, I think I talked about this last time, the node, it's basically a decentralized uh, Infura, right? You help run those nodes, you help uh, um, uh, deliver those uh, relay calls, uh, um, and then you earn some token. But, you know, right now the project is not re really making money, okay? It's a nice concept. The project's not really making money, so the tokens you get Yes, just like the staking yields that you'll get from the like layer one chain tokens, it's uh, primarily from token emission, okay? So it's, in, in other words, it's from money printing, okay? So you, you, gotta, you gotta think about that. You gotta uh, think about um, how, much, uh, how much that, it, whether that is sustainable or not. I think if the project gets traction, if the, their user base continue growing, um then then you know uh m maybe it's a it's a it's a good opportunity um but it, the token emission right now is pretty high and i can tell you the number of nodes if you if you look at the pocket network statistics um how would you check those just google just go google pocket network um stats well, let me see Okay, network um, net st network statistics. Uh, yes, um, just do that, and you will find it. <laughs> so, um, uh, Google that. So, 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 I think you will see that uh, the number of nodes go has been uh, the number of network nodes joining in the network has been going up at a much faster rate than the actual um, uh, business demand of the network. So again, this is another manifestation of the issue that I just talked about, right? You have investment money coming into the space at a much faster rate than the actual adoption or user use, use cases and the actual building that's going on in the space. So, um, so, so, so you, you, you know, do, do your own, research and uh, and uh, make your own judgment on this but these are like a potential risks that, that you should you should consider so in other words <laughs> uh, let me try to summarize this um, I, I think the bear market 
the relatively the relative value we will have like a rotation to a relative value in crypto if there is a thing called value in crypto which is the projects that are that can give a sustainable yield through underlying economic activities okay at least partly through underlying economic activities but whether how much those projects are sustainable you, you've got to judge um, on a project by project basis and also you have to look at your rate of return and how much you're required to invest right now okay um okay so that's that gosh time flies uh we're already running out of time um next question from Susie. why H how does a project token coin value relate to value of underlying tech or company is it like a share or just a token value dictated by the market vaguely associated with use case but mostly hype or is it or is it intrinsic value i i don't i don't remember where where this comment uh, is is referring to but um but i i understand what 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 she means it's what what he means it's uh it's uh it's basically you know in in crypto it's not like uh, stocks, which are presumably your ownership. You you buy a share of the company, meaning you're an owner, okay, of the company, uh, in a certain percentage amount. In in crypto, you're not exactly. It's not a, like exactly an ownership contract, right? Um, and 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 in some tokens, you get a share of the revenue of the protocol that is being programmed in the smart contract. But in some cases, it's just a token. It's like a governance token, and the people make fun of this all the time, right? Um, it's useless because you don't, you get what? Nothing, right? Um, so then people have problem with that. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, 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 so I actually wrote an article about this. It's uh, it's called uh, "Is Asset Valuation Is Asset Price Valuation a Meme?" Um, and I, I, I recommend you, you, you check it out because I, I think it's a fun topic. Uh, so, 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 so what, what, what does the price, what, what does the price of uh, uh, useless governance token mean? Right? If you're not going, if you're not getting the underlying cash flow of, of uh, the project, then you're not uh, presumably a owner of the project, right? So, so what exactly it is is uh, debatable. Um, but here, here's my view. I, I think you can also say the same about a lot of stocks. Unless it's a traditional stock, Berkshire Hathaway, <laughs> or something, Coca-Cola, um, that is a stable going concern, it's a strong business, it generates a cash flow, it, it you know, delivers dividends to shareholders uh, on a regular basis, it's predictable. Otherwise, if it's a growth stock, it's a growth company, you're not getting a dividend, right? You're not getting much of a shareholder say exactly because you are presumably a small shareholder. So what does it mean exactly that you are a share owner, you're a company owner? To me, that's, uh, to me, that's in name only. In, in substance, that is entirely lacking. <laughs> um, some people say, okay, um, if the prof even if you don't get uh, profit share through dividends, companies will buy back stocks when they have profit. So you indirectly gain, right? But you can say the same thing. That's, that's just companies arbitrage, right? So, um, so, but you can say the same thing about useless governance tokens, <laughs> right? If, uh, if, uh, if the company, uh, if not, not the company, if the project thinks it, thinks it's profitable to buy back its tokens, you can do that. Right, so um, you can also benefit in that way. So to me, the 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 distinction between stock ownership and token ownership, the is is a thin one. I think the boundary is is extremely fluid. Okay, but in terms of this intrinsic value thing, okay, um, I, I I think I think even if you don't get a dividend. This, something can still have a positive price, uh, but it's just a, from another mechanism, mechanism, you're playing another kind of game. 
you're not getting the value from the company itself. You're getting the value from other participants who bet in the other direction than you about where this company is going. It's the same thing like, uh, you know, you go to a horse race and you, 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 you gamble on horses. You bet on horses, okay? There are five horses that you, you, you bet, okay, horse A will win, right? And if all the other participants bet on non-horse A and horse A won in the end, they, they all pay you money, right? <laughs> so, 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 so I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a similar game that you, you, you're playing. It's a, in, in the crypto market or, or in, in the hyper-financialization market where the shareholder, the, what it means to be a shareholder is in, increasingly tenuous, okay? So this this market is a, these markets are essentially a horse betting market. It it, it all, it's the same rule. You basically you bet on the horses. There there are a bunch of liquidity in this market. It's like you people buy the tickets to bet on different horses. Okay, so you have a bunch of liquidity. And then and then some horses run faster than the other. If you are good at betting some faster horses. And the value of those horses, the price tag of those horses will go in, will go up, right? It, it, well, the difference here is horse betting is like a one round game, right? So you have, you, you bet first and then the horse runs and then it's done. Then you, 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 you clear out like who owns who. That's a, that's a one round game, betting game. In the crypto market and the stock market, it's a multiple round, it's a continuous rounds, right? Because the fundamentals of the company, of the projects keep changing and you have to adjust your expectations and so on and so forth. And liquidity situation, the market changes, uh, affects all the horses altogether. <laughs> so, but I think the same, same similar rationale applies. You are basically betting against all the other participants in the market to find that best horse. And the implicit rule of the market is to say, even if there's no like horse betting board, horse betting committee committed into writing, but it, the implicit game of the market is that the horses, the projects that run faster, their prices should go up, their value should increase, value in terms of how much their token is worth, okay? even if you does not get direct cash flow or dividend from the project itself. So do you call this intrinsic value or is it not an intrinsic value? Am I, I mean, what's the intrinsic value of a horse betting ticket <laughs> in a horse betting game? So uh, I think this, this concept of intrinsic value, maybe it's just not a very helpful concept. In, 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 the, in the modern financial market anymore. <laughs> so, um, but that's, uh, that's, again, I'm not saying I'm right, but it, hopefully this is something for you to think about. Okay, so um, I think that, that's all for today. And uh, some people, I, I see some comments on YouTube asking me to post timestamps. Guys, I'm sorry, but this is not my job, okay? I do this for fun. The kind of timestamp, this, this kind of thing that gets into the nitty gritty logistics. I'm not a logistics person, okay? I don't like doing that kind of thing. I don't even like asking, like telling other people or hiring other people to do this kind of thing because it's just uh, more chores, okay? Once it becomes like a work, I don't, I don't feel like doing it anymore. So I hope, I, I want to keep this as a fun thing to do. Um, that, that's how I, I will have motivation to do this. It, once it becomes work, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, 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 would, uh, I, I would just uh, you know, start dragging my feet about, about posting these. So if you, if you um, want to have like a, um, time, if you, if you want to, if your problem is you, you can't listen in, in one sitting, uh, you know, this, this is a podcast, okay? You can find this on, on your podcasting app. Uh, you can find it in iTunes or Spotify on Google Podcasts. Just search for Tasha Labs, okay? And just listen as a podcast, not, not on YouTube. And then you can listen anywhere you go. You can listen offline. You can play, pause, restart, 
you know, pick up where you left off. And, you know, that's why I like I like podcasts so much more than watching YouTube because YouTube is a hassle. You know, you you stop playing and then you don't know where it's hard to find it, find it, find it back again. And then you you don't have offline playing unless you pay YouTube money. So if that's your problem, I suggest you 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 do you you find this on podcasts because I I don't think I'm going to break this down in timestamps anytime soon because that would be work. <laughs> Not play anymore. I'm sorry. Okay, that's all for today. I will talk to you later.